The Start On On Demand The final moments of a Winnipeg Transit driver's life captured on video. That video was shown in court on Tuesday at the trial of the man accused of killing Irvine Jubal Fraser. The footage shows how the altercation escalated on the bus before spilling off of the bus. Is the new Canada Food Guide affordable? We'll get to the bottom of that, and we will also ask you the question, is it okay to be a slob? Greg shared a picture on his social media over the weekend, which we've now shared on ours. It's a scene of destruction and chaos at the movie theater, of the colossal mess left behind by a trio of moviegoers. We'll discuss if it's okay to not clean up after yourself in public. We also learned today that size 8 is apparently too big to get a designer dress for the Grammys. And this weekend at the Forks, there's a concert on ice with instruments made of ice. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. We'll cover all these topics and more on the Wednesday, January 23rd edition of the podcast for The Start. I think I need to develop a new system you do. with my alarm. <laughs> like how I just said yes before I even knew where you were going with it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, he does. I do because <laughs> I have adapted. Inevitably, what, what ends up happening is I adapt to my alarm and I sleep through it. So my radio goes off at 2.30 and then again at 2.50. And then my phone alarm starts going off at 3 and 3.15, 3.30, 3.35, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I slept through it for 45 minutes. And I don't know why. I can't even, like, like I, I, if I hear an alarm for more than three seconds and my husband, like, gets so annoyed with me, if his alarm goes off, it can be two and a half seconds in. And I'm like, come on, turn <laughs> off the alarm. Like, I can't stand that noise. So the fact that you are like, guys, I slept 45 minutes through my alarm today. I'm like, what is your deal, Brent? <laughs> yeah, I like, woke doesn't up. Doesn't that aggravate the heck out of you? I had a notification on my phone saying uh, alarm silenced due to uh, after 45 minutes. I think that's what woke me up because I woke up at three forty-six. To the quiet, the silence. Yeah, (laughs) I couldn't handle the silence. Yeah, no, you need a new system. I'm happy to just like scream into your phone. You can record that. That'll get you up. Well, I'm just trying to hear. I'm going to see if I can play the uh, the sound here. Will it? Oh, I'm trying to get. Oh, here it goes. So this is a sound that. Oh, so it starts off kind of quiet. Like, it's meant it, to kind of soothe you awake. It sounds it, like an alien abduction is yeah. what it, I feel like you're about to have. And then it, that went off for 45 I minutes. I can't, I, know. I can't even. Like, what is... <laughs> were you in your so, sleep? Were your thumbs going? Like, were you playing a video game? Because that sounds like video game. Uh, I feel like you have a me. spaceship landing. It's like, here I come to steal Brett's brain. But also, you're, you're moving in with someone in the next couple months, and yeah. I really feel like she's going to nip that in the Bud. Well, that's likely. Well, and I think that maybe is part like of the a problem. Slap across the face. I think that could be part of the problem is that there was no, there were no consequences for my sleeping. Yeah. That was, it wasn't disturbing no. anybody. And I had my window open, that's, so I was like, "This is going to take care of itself." Snug. Yeah, so. a natural evolution type thing. But I think I need a new sound because <laughs> inevitably I always get used to whatever alarm system is. I could put. I used to put my alarm in a zipped up bag behind <laughs> my dresser. Brett, you have a problem. And I would still sleep through it. 
I do I have a problem. Even, I can't. That music need, is the worst. I need and one of those alarm clocks that either A, gets up and runs away from you. Yes. Or B, there's another one where you have to go into another room and punch in a code. Oh, that's a code. Or get, like, it. put it on a Roomba. Get a Roomba. It'll be vacuuming through the night. Plus, yeah, you'll, have to, plus you'll have to chase it as Stop it goes. Stop talking, Loren. We have an a marketing plan. Okay. We have an invention. Shh. Patent pending. <laughs> we have a suggestion for you in okay. terms of how you might like to wake up. I'm not... Uh, shall we say, inclined on the technology side enough to, to tell you how to do this. Mm-hmm. But our suggestion is is this should be your new um, alarm tone. Hey, want to hear the most <laughs> annoying sound in the world? Pretty sure that would work. Yeah. Fellas. Yeah, I have a hard time waking up lately. It seems I have adapted at last to the sound of my alarm, and I slept through it for 45 minutes this morning, so I need to make a change. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, well, that would, that would certainly wake me up. I think might that wake, wake your neighbors up, I can't too. even, in case anyone missed this earlier, Brent explained how, how you slept through the alarm for 45 minutes, and it was the silence when the alarm finally shut off yep. that woke you up, yep. and that you've even put your phone in a Ziploc bag, so you'd have I to have open it. Like there was just, an actual bag with a zipper. It was one of those oh, little toiletry bags. Oh, like even harder bags. to get into. Yeah, and I hid it behind my dresser, so I had to pull the cord up so that I could get it, I had to fish it out from behind my dresser. This is years back now. And I would just kind of, I'd wake up, I'd hear it going, and I'd think, ah, I can sleep through this. So what did, like, when you were a teenager, how did your parents get you out of bed? Uh, my dad would have to come into my room probably five, six times every morning. Like a shakeout? Like a full drag you out? Or no, just a yell? he was always just very gentle about it. He'd just, Brett, wake up. Brett, it's time to get up. Brett, <laughs> you never got up. the pot of water? No. My mom did the pot like of water. Like threw it on you? Oh, Yeah. Like and not just like a like a saucepan, like a big pot <laughs> of water. Oh, that sounds fun, but like that's a messy thing to clean up. <laughs> that sounds she, fun. She had to clean it up. I would love to. I would honestly, if you want, I will come to your house. I will get up earlier to chuck a pot of water on you. Oh, I would enjoy that. Don says best alarm tone: the sound of a child vomiting. Ain't no sleeping through that. I will, <laughs> I will admit, whenever uh, if I'm sleeping and uh, my girlfriend's and the cat comes into the room and, and you hear that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That'll get you moving. Yeah. Oh, God. That is about that made me vomit. perfectly. <laughs> we could probably get him audio of a child vomiting. That's got to be on YouTube yeah, somewhere. I could probably find it, record it, and make that my alarm tone. Thank you very much for the suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a slob. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Producer Kyle and Greg Mackling. What did you witness? What sort of carnage did you witness at Landmark Cinema's Grand Park? It's really difficult to put it into words. So we just put it. I put a picture up. And I typically don't do these sorts of things where I take pictures of people who park poorly mm-hmm. or do things that are contrary to the social contract. But this was such an uh, outrageous outrageous action by these folks at the uh, movie theater. It literally looked like they had lived there for, for weeks. So what was left? Like left on the ground, on the seats? Like after you left, what exactly? You're talking like several popcorn bags. Ha, have you not seen the no, picture, Lauren? Are you, are I'm you unfamiliar it. with Greg, social media? Tens of thousands tens of, of our listeners maybe haven't seen it. Do you have 15,000 <laughs> followers that I'm not aware of on Twitter?
Twitter? I don't have as many as you. You don't and have as I don't many have the as check mark, listen to so, the station. I'm yeah, just yeah, suggesting yeah. that you no, describe the, it. <laughs> there oh, are God. multiple, at least a half a dozen napkins that are strewn over the place. A third of a popcor- uh, bag of popcorn. Well, maybe not that much. Uh, two bags of popcorn. One, two beverage containers, and the actual tray that they brought all this stuff in with Does in the first place. Does nobody take their popcorn home? Like, Maybe is there still popcorn in that bag? Oh, okay. I don't know. I because I take that home. And inspect. Oh, it doesn't last to the end, halfway oh, mark of the movie okay. for me. Yeah, okay. So you have an empty bag, but if you I had You can get any... free refills at uh, Grand Park. You, you don't think that's too bad, Kel? <laughs> well, have you not seen our lunchroom almost every Yeah, oh, people here won't even clean up after you themselves. You know what? Fair point, Mr. Moore. Why don't you take it from there? Well, it, it, when we thought of the, you know, when you, I saw this topic for this morning, I thought, oh boy. Like, and I will be the first to admit, I have a little bit of a fetish about cleanliness and orderliness. But uh, I know there's a lot of mornings I come in the sinks full uh, or uh, the dishwasher, uh, you know, had, had room for one more cup, but nobody put a cup in there to run it, et cetera, et cetera. So. Damn millennials. No, I, nothing annoys me more even when I go home like, and there's dishes in the sink. If the dishwasher has room in it and there's dishes in the sink, I'm annoyed. If the dishwasher's running, fine, I yeah. get it. Absolutely. If, if the yeah. dishwasher's way done its cycle, like it happens here, I'll walk in and I'll be like, oh, the dishwasher must be running. No, I open up. It's cold. Dishes are clean. It stopped running like and, hours and ago. I feel your pain, Kelly. Someone, when the dishwasher has run, the dishes are clean and someone has to go throw a couple of dirty dishes in there because they didn't feel like unloading. So, anyway, that's so, it. so, so is, your point, is your point this? That if people can be slobs and slovenly, the word I'm looking for, that works slovenly. At your place of business, where people know you and are supposed to respect you and have some sort of uh, repartee, some sort of relationship with them, are we surprised that people can act this way in public, Jeff Braun? No, especially at the movie theater where they. That's the Seinfeld has a bit about that. He's like. We look the other way on the insane overcharging for the snacks, and the trade-off is that when I'm done with anything, I just open my hand and let it drop to the floor. What do you, do you do that? Do I do that? Yeah. No, I just put my put the cup in the popcorn bag and throw it in the trash. Yeah. Like you and, will pick it up as you leave. Yeah. Yeah. And once every ten times, I'll forget and I don't turn around and go back to get it, but. I don't lose sleep over it either. Like, you're, you're a movie professional, though. I mean, yeah. that's your other job. Like, I'm not necessarily upset. If they leave the cup in the holder and they walk away, that's one thing. Although I'd argue you could grab the cup and toss it out. It, it's, the, it's the stuff on the ground. Like, just treating it like you would never. It's kind of like when you go to a hotel room and you're so excited that the cleaning lady's coming that, like, stuff is all over the place because you're excited she's going to make your bed and move things around. <laughs> and, and then you kind of, like, push this line where you're like, this might be too much for the cleaning lady to do. Like, this is not yeah. really her you job. You cannot tell me you don't tidy up for the cleaning lady in the hotel. Uh, I put I put stuff away so she's not like picking up, yes. you know, dirty underwear. Kelly tidies or like up that. for her, I, and I Kelly do, does I it do. so he doesn't have to tip her. Oh my, no, I tip her. <laughs> But my wife goes, don't make the bed. <laughs> you, you don't have to make the bed. That's the line. That's the I'll line. Just, I'll just straighten the pillows. Then. <laughs> but when it comes to the movies, I always pick up my trash and uh, take it out. And the argument is, well, you, if you leave it behind, you know, the kids are there. That's their job. Well, I kind of see it as, well, they're actually there to, to pick up, to sweep up popcorn or clean up spills, wipe down the seats, whatever need be. And if you... At least take your trash out, then the less time those kids have to spend picking up the trash, 
the faster the next batch of people gets in, like say you go on a busy night, you're waiting in mm. line, the theater lets out, and you think, okay, I can go in now. No, you can't because they got to send in their little SWAT team of cleaners. And if they're cleaning up after a whole bunch of slobs like that in your photograph, Greg, well, it's going to take them that much extra time. So in a way, if you clean up after yourself, you're helping your fellow moviegoer by getting in and out as fast as possible, letting the kids get in and out as fast as possible. I understand, like, if you drop your popcorn or whatever and you make a mess, you can't be expected to clean that up. But is it really that hard to pick up your trash and put it in the garbage can as you walk out? I just, I don't see why that's so hard to do. Yeah. Well, like, especially when there's kids, like, because kids aren't intentionally making a mess usually. Well, so I what's even, the message you're leaving that's what if I, you let your kids That's do right. That. So, if they, so it's the same way, like, if you go out for supper, where, like, I often find myself saying to the kids, okay, like, grab your napkin, like, sweep all your crumbs onto your plate. Because when they eat, it's still very much, like, with a reckless abandon, like a wild child, like, you know, with the bones and meat and sauces everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And they're not, they're not, they're just. They're sick. They're six and eight, and you know, but then you you're telling them to clean up because it's rude for the waitress to have to have that additional. And sure, you can tip for that, but it, she still has to wade through your kid's slobber and mess and all the rest, right? So oh, yeah. it's that, like, is anyone paid enough for that? No, there was nothing worse than cleaning up after a bunch of kids. Yeah. At Jets games, I'll leave my stuff there. I don't take it with me. Yeah, I do sometimes, and I don't. But like I say, but like that I, ends up on the ground anyways because like, you need the space. Like, it's not like a free-for-all where I'm throwing around. Milroy, you're awfully silent even if on they this lose? one. Even if, they, even if they lose, Macklin? Oh, no, then I throw my, <laughs> then I throw my garbage yeah, on the ice like any thing. good Philadelphia <laughs> Flyers yeah, fan. You, Come on. You do your best to throw your garbage in your popcorn bag, I think, if you remember to take it fine. Don't intentionally make a mess. Enough people make it by accident, right? Yeah. And I think, was it last year at the World Cup where it was yes. the, the, the Japanese fans? There were two countries, right? Is Japan yeah. and wasn't it one of the African countries? Yeah. That yeah. were there. Then they ended up playing each other. So right. it was going to be the cleanest crowd ever. So sorry, they cleaned up after themselves. Yeah. Yeah. The, and they were cleaning up, they they were cleaning up, up the all the seats. Yeah. yeah. Because it's just common courtesy where they're to not In leave Japan that mess. And baseball games, et cetera. Everybody cleans up after themselves. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that could just be, that should be the way it is for everything. It's And just while I'm at it, throwing stuff in the garbage, make sure it goes in the garbage, not just in and around the garbage can. Well, the, the garbage can will thank you when you put trash into it at the fast food. And I guess according to Canada's new food guide, your stomach will thank you if you follow its new guidelines. I think that's what they're trying to say, that we could all maybe be a little bit healthier. My question to listeners is, does your plate currently look like Health Canada thinks it should? The federal government, of course, released that revised food guide, which we were talking about yesterday on CJOB, and it has a lot more green on that plate than it ever did before. We know vegetables are good for us, but choosing vegetables over more filling foods like pasta or bread can also cost more green, which has us asking, are these new guidelines affordable? Global's Alison McKinnon is chasing that question for us and joins us now. Good morning, Alison. Good morning. So the new guide is kind of stepping away from that traditional rainbow breakdown that I think a lot of us are used to. So it's showing half a plate of veggies and fruits, and the other half is showing grains and proteins with very limited meat on the picture. Uh, now, they're asking you to limit things like meats and milk to one or two servings a day and eating things instead like beans, nuts, lentils to get your protein. So University of Manitoba's community nutrition professor, Dr. Joyce Slater, says that this guide isn't really trying to say stop eating meat altogether. 
we're seeing a new trend I saw recently called Vajanuary, where people are really wanting to experiment more with uh, having more of these plant-based proteins in their diet. Look at the success of the A&W uh, meatless burger. They ran out. So um, I, think, I think this gives people sort of some, some guidance and permission to move in that direction, but without telling people you need to become a vegetarian. So I've heard of dry January, Allison. I'm not so sure I've heard of veg January, which is obviously more veggies in January that people are trying. That's right. So it's kind of turning towards doing more of a vegan or vegetarian type of month, I guess, going more veggie friendly. Okay. So that's like, I think that's easy for a lot of people to understand why we might be encouraged to do that. But I know I was looking this morning at just the cost of different vegetables. And I looked up red leaf lettuce, for example, which is a favorite mm-hmm. of mine. And that can cost at least $3, sometimes 4 for a head. And we know we can get rice or pasta or bread for a lot cheaper. Eating healthier can sometimes, or at least there's a perception that it can cost more money. Is that the case? Absolutely. So a lot of people are thinking you have to go uh, fresh with this new diet. But uh, Slater is actually saying that you're to go more frozen. And she's saying that um, this new new guide will actually, it might save you money at the checkout. When we're thinking about cost, I mean, in that, that protein section, you can have, you know, ribeye steak, or you can have, you know, alternatives like the canned beans. So there's, there's, a, there's a range of variety in there, in there for people to choose from. So I think I think it could meet the needs of most Canadians, absolutely. At the same time, we need to be mindful that if people are really challenged to afford groceries, that's not, you know, the need for a new food guide, that's the need for people to have adequate incomes to be able to afford food. So I think that that, like, when we do the math on this, there's some people that have pointed out, and I know she in that interview too, Allison, talked about canned goods, right? She just said there that right. it doesn't have to be always fresh vegetables, which which do usually cost more. Mm-hmm. That's right. So she's saying basically go to the freezer aisle, try and find different things like that. They're saying if you want fruits in the winter, and those typically you look at uh, strawberries, and they're about $5 right now. I looked yesterday at Walmart, and that's not necessarily affordable. So if you go to the freezer aisle, you can make things like smoothies and do it that way so that you are saving that kind of money. Today, I'm going to be talking to a nutritionalist, Jory Jansen, about how to incorporate this new guide into your lifestyle and have it be a little bit more practical, because I don't think a lot of people can maybe have a full plate of fresh greens on the side. And they're also saying that they're coming out with a breakdown in a couple months of what you should do for different ages, because a two-year-old can't be having one serving of milk. Allison McKinnon, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Have a nice day. Global's Allison McKinnon on the Canada Food Guide. And Greg, we had a text message that uh, caught your attention. Here. Yeah, Brenda says if you eat cheap food, your body isn't fueled properly, so you get hungry faster. When you eat real, whole food and fuel your body properly, you don't get hungry as fast. So you eat less and less often. So it's not necessarily more costly. Just changing our mindset, I think. Like I, even myself, don't often think of the canned vegetables uh, and I guess I should maybe a little bit more taste this is good often. Popeye always ate canned spinach. You know what? And, and look at the size of those guys' you're his guns. Teaching me so much this morning. First, the garbage cans are <laughs> alive and eating. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can learn from anyone, it's Popeye. Yeah, that's right. So mm. thank you, Brett. Because I eat me spinach. <laughs>
<laughs> we do want to revisit the footage that was shown in court yesterday. Video showing a, a final count, encounter between a bus driver and passenger in the moments leading up to the transit driver's death was showed, as you said, Brett, at the second degree murder trial for the accused. Uh, it's available to watch on our website, globalnews.ca and cgob.com. But we want to kind of get more into what was seen in it. Diana Foxall was in the courtroom while that unedited video was played and joins us in studio now. Uh, thanks, Diana, for being here. How, how long was the video? So, Loren, the full video was uh, upwards of 40 minutes. The chunk that we have on our website is about three minutes. But the trip starts routinely as Fraser drives the 170 bus down its route to the U of M via Fort Richmond. Now, Thomas is seen getting on board around 1.15 in the morning at Winnipeg Square. Nothing much happens for the majority of the route with Thomas kind of sitting quietly and actually falling asleep at one point. But once the bus reaches its terminus a little after 1.45 in the morning, that is when things start to get heated. Fraser yells last stop, telling Thomas he needs to get off the bus as it is now out of service. Thomas asks to be taken elsewhere, perhaps at Tim Hortons, and asks for a phone to make a call. Off the bus, please. The last time I'm asking. There's nobody following you. There's nobody on the bus. Time to go. Off the bus. Off the bus. Off the bus. It's not my problem. So eventually Fraser starts swearing and gets out of his seat, grabbing Thomas by the shoulders and shoving him off the bus after he refuses to get off. Thomas is visibly angry in the video, yelling, quote, F you, man, from outside the vehicle before throwing fists at the driver and yelling at him to come outside. Thomas actually then spits on Fraser, provoking him into leaving the vehicle. The pair exit the video's frame, but footage shown in court from another camera angle shows sounds of a struggle with some muffled thuds. Now, the Crown also presented another video from the bus that pulled up behind Fraser's at the time of the incident, that one showing the driver running towards the scene before sprinting back to his bus and calling for help, saying there was a driver down at the U of M. All right. Thanks very much, Diane. And of course, this trial continues for about in the next two weeks. Yes, it should be wrapping up uh, towards the end of next week. All right. Global's Diana Foxall joining us live on 680 CJOB. Winnipeg police will be releasing more details today on the arrest of two teens accused of making online threats against their school. We're not sure what the charges are going to be. We had said earlier that, you know, in the previous cases that happened in Winnipeg, there was one just last week. There was also cases in Selkirk that that police had indicated that it might not have been an intent to harm, but just uttering those threats. So we'll have more details in the hours ahead. But we do know letters went home to parents with students in at least two schools sharing that an arrest was made and also passing on some advice to parents on how to talk to their kids if they're showing any signs of worry and also how to talk to them about responsible social media use. It's a conversation we really think we should continue here on The Start. And so to help us through it, we're joined by Amy Morrison, who's a digital media professor with the University of Waterloo, and she joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. We just were talking about how several threats have been made uh, over the past little while uh, in Winnipeg, Selkirk, and across northern Manitoba. And one of our worries is always when we talk about them that might perpetuate copycat situations. Is that a, a real concern? Is it, you know, when we when we hear about threats, does that inspire others, for lack of a better word, to, to go online and make their own? I think that the people who are actually quite violent have been shown to be inspired by acts of, of real violence. So that's uh, people who do go in and, and shoot up their high schools, for example, often make reference to other 
um, school shootings that took place. I think it's a little bit different to talk about what in this case seems to be like teens acting out um, some of their own sort of growing pains or discomfort or unhappiness by making um, what looked to be sort of attention-seeking gestures with no real intent to shoot at school. And that's probably something we should talk about, actually, because that covers a lot more kids, um, you know, kids who are confused, who are angry, who are upset in a sort of non-homicidal way, but are, are tending to say these sorts of things online. Um, that's a group we can definitely reach, and we should be talking with them. Uh, Loren, you mentioned some language that was contained in uh, some uh, media release from the school division, Did, digital citizenship. Yeah, have, Amy, have you heard it, that before, Amy? Yeah, yeah. Digital citizenship means being aware. Um, when we use social media, often, especially youth, tend to think of it as a space for socialization. Right? That's our our social group where our hangouts are. We consider it to be. Um, a place where there's no grown-ups or no consequences, kind of like hanging out in the rec room um, of the basement with your friends kind of talking trash about teachers at your school where where no one can hear you and it's not really going to leave that room. But, of course, social media is much more public and diffuse than that, and our networks are much more broad than the four or five friends we have for the sleepover, right? So people who are connected to you on social media, who you know in a in a much more intimate, in a much less intimate kind of way, might see a sort of idle blowing off of steam complaint about your school as something that that they would feel terrible if they didn't report and something happened, right? So digital citizenship means taking account of the different types of audiences we actually might have online, of taking into account how material that is intended to be seen by a small group of people and understood in a particular context can really rapidly escape that orbit where our words are likely to be understood into something much bigger where it can unintentionally um, cause a good deal of, of panic and disruption for everyone around us. How do we make that lesson stick? Because it sounds like, it does sound like common sense, but as we know that adults can behave terribly online just as the kids can. And so there's one thing to say to them, like, look, like it's, you're not just talking to your friend. The whole world could end up seeing this, but making them actually realize the consequences of that so they don't do it in the first place. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to truly understand it, I think, sometimes until it's often too late. Sure. I mean, I think it's it's great to have examples, right? Specific examples you can talk about. I know you've got a lot of snow in Winnipeg and where I grew up, there's a lot of snow. And we were always like told, you know, you can't make a snow fort in the snowbank, right? Don't do that. Stay out of the snowbanks or like, don't jump off the garage roof. And you're always like, adults are no fun, right? Like, what do they know? It's like, you have to find that kids have been you know, hit by plows. Like you have to hear that someone broke their leg because they landed on the barbecue when they jumped off the roof. Like there has to be a kind of specific example because if you just sort of say to teenagers and you're an adult, you know, you sort of sound like one of those Charlie Brown parents, wah, 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 wah. So kids don't tend to listen to your words when you're talking about things that they think that they're the experts in and you're not, right? You can't say, oh, don't put everything on social media. The whole world will know your business. All you're going to get is an eye roll. You can say like, Look, when I was a kid, I used to complain about school, too, um, you know, and sometimes I would you know, make jokes. Heathers came out when I was a, a teenager, right, and there's school shootings and, and explosions and that one, and we would make jokes about it. But in the Internet age, you can't really put that online because we're in an era now where some people do actually enact that type of violence on their schools. And also, right, the Internet is a giant megaphone, so you have to use 
specific examples and say, like, this kid was just like you, just kind of blowing off steam or sort of making a bid for attention, um, and the consequences can be quite dire. So, you know, put what you want on social media, but be aware, um, uttering threats, even if you don't mean them, <laughs> if they can be understood by others to be threats, are, are possibly going to get you arrested. Amy Morrison is a digital media professor with the University of Waterloo, joining us live this morning on 680 CJOB. Amy, thank you very much. You're very welcome. This is a song from a singer named Bibi Rexa, and the headline at globalnews.ca. Bibi Rexa says several designers declined to dress her for Grammys because she's too big. A lot of designers don't want to dress me because I'm too big, says Bibi Rexa of her size eight and when, figure. Size eight, let's me? repeat that. Size so eight? You would be somebody who's, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here, but 130 pounds maybe for a size eight, 140. And when you said this this morning, I said, this cannot be true. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's shocking really. And I remember the first time I saw a Bibi Rexa music video, it was actually here was at work on a Saturday, and I don't know what I was looking for on YouTube. I was looking for a movie clip or something to put into a story, but of course, when you go to YouTube, it always has a series of videos and stuff, suggested videos for you to pick from, and I saw this video with you know, this pretty girl, so I thought, well, I'll just take a second to have a peek at this, and I, I, I felt guilty because I, because I thought she was so hot, and I thought it was like inappropriate for me to be looking at this at work. So the fact that they shot her down just boggles my mind. Now, here is her reaction to this. She posted this video on social media. So I finally get nominated at the Grammys, and it's like the coolest thing ever. And a lot of times, artists will go and talk to designers, and they'll make them custom dresses to walk the red carpet, right? Like, you'll go to any big designer. So I had my team hit out a lot of designers, and a lot of them do not want to dress me because I'm too big. Literally, like, they, I'm too big. And if a size 6, 8 is too big, then I don't know what to tell you. Then I don't want to wear your dresses. Because that's crazy. Because all you're saying that all the women in the world that are size 8 and up are not beautiful and they cannot wear your dresses. So all, so all the people that said that I'm thick and I can't wear dresses, f*** you, I don't want to wear your f***ing dresses. Yeah. Like yeah. on a, a, moving aside from the fact that she's ex- extremely attractive woman and whatever her size is or her weight and all the rest, I don't have room in this day and age at all for anyone saying that any size is not designer appropriate. And I and I I've never really understood the whole designer thing because I'm supposed to look at that person and identify with not just the dress but the person. So uh, you want to have all sorts of all colors and shapes and sizes on the runway, in my opinion, wearing your clothes, because then I can be like, oh, I can see myself wearing that or my friend wearing that or my mom wearing that or whatever the design is. And then and to put to decide that runway fashion has to apply in this milieu, so to speak, is. Blech. Yeah, it's 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 really frustrating. And we in recent weeks, we spoke with uh, Organic Tan Winnipeg, their social media campaign, the Everybody campaign, and they've been rolling out different pictures every day on that. So if you want to follow that hashtag on Instagram or on other social media, you can find those pictures there. And that campaign celebrates every shape and size. And BB Rexa. Because she's, I guess, doesn't fit into the the, the picture, the, the quote-unquote perfect 
pop star figure because she's because she's carrying a couple of extra pounds that she's unacceptable for designer it's fashion. Size eight is what most. If you ask a woman in a That's room what they'd, they'd they'd like to achieve, not sure they would. I would for me, yeah. a size eight would be like like for example this year would be a high five. I would be like if I can get back into my size eight jeans, woo! Like let's do it. Like I I just come on. I cannot help but think of this young woman and. Think back to when Lady Gaga was treated in a similar fashion, that she didn't fit the profile. She wasn't beautiful enough. Her body shape wasn't appropriate. So she wore things like meat dresses in order to sort of give the middle finger to the traditional fashion designers. And guess who's up for an Academy Award this year? So, baby Rexa, you stand your ground, girl. Everything's going to be just fine for you. Right now we want to talk... About the Winnipeg New Music Festival, and this is something we look forward to talking about every year because the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra creates this festival and they always do something really cool. And in this case, it's something that is literally quite cool (laughs) because the New Music Festival is going to feature a concert on ice with instruments made from ice. To learn more about this, we are joined by Daniel Rayskin, who is the music director at the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Daniel, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for joining us. This concert on ice, so we, we, we teed that up. I'm just posting a picture of this now on our social media. It looks really cool. So tell us, uh, what is this going to involve? Well, it's it looks cool. It's going to be very cold and cool, and it's going to be literally cool, as you say. It's... Um, Going to involve um, a bunch of people that are crazy enough to come out in <laughs> sub-zero temperatures to listen to music played on music instruments carved from ice, frozen water of a Cinnabon River, um, in this beautifully built amphitheater, uh, built uh, from ice um, on the in, in the forks on the banks of a Cinnabon and. We have invited um, a wonderful, uh, interesting Norwegian uh, composer and instrumentalist um, musician, Terry Insukset, um, who will uh, perform original pieces by composed by himself on these instruments and with a singer he brings with him. And these instruments are carved specially for the occasion by someone he brings with him too. Um, it's a very special event also because the sound c- created outside is very different from the ones you are accustomed to listening to in the closed environment of a concert hall or a room. And um, that married to uh, completely different acoustical properties of ice and reflection of sound from ice or muted by snow around. And then there's wind and all the kind of natural sounds that surround us. It's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. What do we, can you describe the instruments? Because when you say instruments from ice, and I even double checked this off air because I was like, so they're really made from ice. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, I what mean, are we talking about? Like flute, trumpet, trombone? Well, like, which there ones? is an um, isophone, which is, which is a kind of a wind instrument carved from ice, something you can blow into and that will work like a trumpet or a horn. Then there, then there, then there is a, a percussion instrument built from ice because you can you can have um, ice blocks of different size and they produce a different pitch, like like bottles of different uh, size. And people are practicing on these, like they. Well, I mean, I, I, I hope it? he knows what he is doing <laughs> because uh, no, I, he has a great experience with doing that. He's playing on these instruments. Um, he is a professional percussionist himself, uh, so. 
uh, and um, uh, I'm sure he he's done it um, many times before. There is a lot of material on YouTube. People who are really curious uh, to figure that out, um, they're welcome to do so. Even so, uh, unfortunately for everyone who still wants to come, the concert is completely sold out already. So, of course it is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm mean, thinking, okay, uh, minus 24 is forecast, but it's no. going to be sunny on Saturday. I can bundle up. And so paint this picture again. Like I heard it the first time, and I might be uh, along with people listening. So the theater is going to be on the banks of the Cinnaboyne oh, River. Yeah. Is this going to be at the, at the Forks? It's at the Forks. It's at the Forks. It's it's the it's where it goes down to the water. And right. the, behind you, there will be people skating and playing ice hockey. And, Fantastic. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a closed environment. Um, uh, it's an amphitheater built for some 500 people, including the performers and, uh, and the staff. And there's going to be, of course, a bar because with these temperatures, you can't, enjoy music without an extra caribou or, or two. <laughs> so um, I'm not promoting um, the liquor consumption, but I think these these things are um, it's, obvious. It's, it's a mandatory or suggested accoutrement. Yeah. Yes, fair yeah. to say. You're yeah. now making, I think, everybody angry who's listening who doesn't have <laughs> tickets because if it didn't sound mm. awesome enough, you throw in an ice bar and all the rest. Wow, like what an event. Yeah, I think that we our concert is on Friday. Um, I think that there are some um, events... Uh, he's repeating part uh, of this concert also on Saturday, so maybe there is uh, some room for that. But um, our concert is not only featuring his performance, but also a great piece by um, John Luther Adams, um, a composer who's written a work for a large group of percussion players. And um, this is meant to be performed outside, and uh, we have translated it into the winter time because his idea was to have it in the open space of nature and woods and people actually moving around and listening to different sounds of percussion um, combined with these of uh, wind uh, rustling and and birds singing and your own footsteps on the on the on the surface of the uh, forest floor. And we said, okay, why don't we um, have this frozen and um, we will have the sounds of wind blowing and um, uh, ice hockey puck shifting and people screaming and people can still walk around. And as I said, the, this environment offers uh, very different um, natural acoustic properties. So it's very exciting. And we actually will encourage people to go around. And, and it's not like a st stiff concert where you sit and listen and then you're allowed to clap. It's, it, it's, it's something where you're also invited to interact and add your own presence to what you will hear. So if you can imagine the sort of the lighthouse structure in the harbor at, at the Forks and using that as sort of the pinnacle of almost like a circus tent idea, this is going to be a roofless venue, but it's going to be in that in that typical band, sort of yeah, uh, band, yeah, that, yeah. that fan shape with uh, red fabric as a roof. That, that I saw them creating this, like, uh, yeah. the start of this just a couple of weekends ago. I'll, I'll, I'll post a link to this on, on my, on my yeah. Twitter account. It is absolutely amazing. Maybe not even close to as as spectacular as you might have been, or, or maybe far more spectacular rather than you might have been imagining it in your head. Wow, this is mind blowing, really is. And you can get more information at wnmf.ca. It's the Winnipeg New Music Festival, and this is the we're talking right now about the pre-festival special event, Glacial Time, which is Friday night at seven thirty at the Forks. But there are a host of other events in the days following that. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. 
Right now you're hearing the sounds from the Norway Ice Music Festival, and you're going to be able to hear similar sounds this Friday night at the Forks. It's the Glacial Time event at the Winnipeg New Music Festival from the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. It's a sold-out event, but Daniel Raskin, music director for the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, from what I understood, if you're in the neighborhood, you can still at least come by and have a peek from, from beyond the cheap seats, as it were. I guess so. Uh, you can you can probably hear it. I don't know how much you will see, but you will definitely. It's an open pl- open space, so you might uh, hear what's going inside. But uh, I think on Saturday there are also um, the event will be partially repeated by the same artist, um, and uh, I think he even has like a like two slots. So uh, if this information is surely on the Forks website. WNMF.ca is where you can get the website. Now, this music festival, I mean, over the years, they've uh, performed, uh, they've done a show at the Pan Am Pool. They did a show in the basement of Hudson Bay Company downtown. Like, you guys are always doing such unique and innovative things in this show. Uh, So what is it about the the new music festival that inspires all of this imagination and innovation? I think the the driving force is really to be uh, rejuvenating the idea every time. And... to stay relevant and exciting, you always need to reinvent yourself and to come up with things that are really um, connecting to a whole new demographics and uh, um, scores of uh, music lovers that usually don't come to uh, uh, the regular symphony concerts. And um, the Winnipeg New Music Festival has uh, proven that it became a classic of contemporary music uh, in North America and around the world. It's one of the uh, most respected events um, I know of that kind. And um, also this year, which is my first year as artistic director of the festival, music director of the Winnipeg Symphony, we try to, you know, again, be uh, as crazy as uh, one can and positively lunatic about um, the things we do. So here you go, the Pavilion Sub-Zero and uh, music uh, played on ice instruments. But then we also... Uh, have a project with a progressive metal band, uh, Animals as Leaders, that is truly well known to uh, large groups of their followers. But imagine that um, being uh, paired with the sounds of a full symphony orchestra. And these guys are of such incredible caliber of musicianship and uh, instrumentalism. we reached out to them and um, suggested uh, to do something together and immediately got a positive response. Um, at the end of the day, it's about the music, about the energy, about what we can move together. And, you know, there's only great music or not so good music. And these guys make great music, we too. And it just happens that our composing residence, um, Harry Staphylakis, and our and my co-curator of the festival, he's... He's a metal head. His background is uh, metal, <laughs> and um, which you wouldn't put together. And like when you think symphony, and all, no, you don't think metalhead. Yeah, but but again, <laughs> you know, I as a sixteen-year-old, I wanted to be a, a rock band drummer, and uh, I even you know played uh, a few months. It was a very short-lasting endeavor. But my son um, is a is a professional jazz drummer, and but he started as as many of them do, uh, trashing. Uh, drums and skins and sticks and uh, cymbals in my cellar so uh, i was living on a volcano and he moved towards more progressive forms of music and on the way uh, to progressive metal so he actually introduced me to that so when i heard this 
It's, uh, I said, okay, let's do it. It's it's crazy, but it's going to be really cool. If you can keep up to Nico McBrain and 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 some, Nico McBain and some of the other crazy drummers in, in mainstream heavy metal, you're doing well. So when you go into a little oh, bit yeah. of faster extreme metal, uh, you got to be a fast player. Oh, absolutely. And it's not only about fast, but the the complexity of their uh, rhythmical um, uh, polyrhythmic language. The the structure of the music is actually so classical in its way. I mean, you can have a violin, clarinet, and a cello playing chamber music as a trio, but you can also have two guitars and an incredible drummer, plus uh, a pre-recorded bass line. Uh, Put together and you're, it's a jaw-dropping experience to see how these guys play. And we are actually not encouraging them um, to uh, use the volumes and setup they will do if they play alone. We really want uh, them to be not acoustic. It's not possible they're playing electric guitars, but like more in line with our natural sound. And they love it because that really brings them back to the origin of sound, the human voice, the rhythm of a drum, you know, and... So this is going to be really cool. They're doing a recital themselves, and then they're playing a large suite of their very popular numbers, uh, which is arranged for the whole band and the symphony orchestra. And this is the second uh, concert of the festival. Another event I have to mention is the revisit of the founding father of the festival, Bramble Tovey, one of my predecessors. And uh, this is the opening night with a piece that was at the foundation of the festival. You can get all the information at WNMF.ca. It's the Winnipeg New Music Festival. Daniel Raskin is the music director of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. And his show is Wednesday, January 30th. It's called New Visions. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I don't know if you've had to recently renew your mortgage, maybe... You're thinking about building a brand new home, maybe renovations that need to be done on your current home. Perhaps you're looking to enter the housing market for the very first time. Either way, the market is a moving target. The annual State of the Residential Mortgage Market for 2018 report has been released by the Mortgage Professionals of Canada. Over the past 24 to 36 months, Loren, the landscape of Canadian housing market has changed on several fronts. It has changed substantially. Yeah, we all know we've been talking a lot over the past few years about historic low levels for those interest rates. Well, they've risen in the last few months. The average house price has also grown year over year. And rules that allow you to qualify for that mortgage or perhaps not qualify to purchase a home have been fortified. So what does this all mean for us and for every Manitoban? Well, we want to find out and get you some answers now. Will Dunning is the Chief Economist with Mortgage Professionals of Canada and also author of this report, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Will. Good morning to you too. So what is your biggest takeaway from this? If I'm if I'm delving through this, what jumped out to you as a concern in terms of trends for first-time buyers and just home purchasers in general? Well, there are three things going on. The first thing is that interest rates have risen, and, and that's a negative. The second thing is there are a lot of jobs being created across Canada, including in Manitoba, and that's very positive. So lower, uh, higher interest rates and strong job creations, those should be roughly offsetting. Housing markets today should be roughly where they were last year and the year before, but they're not. And they're not because of these federal policies that are making it much, much harder for people to buy homes. 
So the market forces at play. I don't want to get too complicated for the for our listeners, but but the market forces would typically indicate that the the new housing market and the number of new houses being built should be higher on par with uh, the last several years. If I'm paraphrasing what you just said correctly, yes. And you mentioned the new construction area, but also the resale market. I mean, it's very clear in the resale market. In in Manitoba now, sales are about six or seven percent lower than they were in 2017. And that, again, is largely because of these federal government policies. Just looking at some graphs here uh, relating to the annual state of the residential mortgage market in Canada, and one that's really catching my attention is the sales to new listings ratio in Manitoba. And in 2008, it was hovering up near 90 percent. And then in 2018, it's dropped down to 50 percent. What does that mean exactly? Sales to new listings ratio? Well, we were in a situation where there was pretty strong demand, and that was causing prices to rise because, you know, there's more buyers and sellers, prices will rise. We're in a state now where there's actually uh, more risk that prices are going to fall rather than rise. And, you know, I, that, that's not a good thing. What happens to the value of your home has a, a great deal to do with how you feel about your own situation. Uh, if prices weaken, that, that can actually end up harming the broader economy. And we'll see whether or not that happens over the next year or two. I mean, if your house price falls, you're going to spend a lot less money. You're going to create fewer jobs by your own economic activities. So we talk about debt to GDP ratio in terms of countries. Uh, in Canada, consumer debt uh, versus our income is as high as it's ever been. Does that not uh, lend some credence into the Bank of Canada and their higher, quote unquote, higher interest rate uh, policy right now? Well, even with these higher interest rates, we're, we're still seeing that the, the debt service burden, if, if I can call it that, is really in line with what it's been historically. I mean, people can still afford to make their mortgage payments in Canada. Somebody who's going to buy a house today is calculating pretty carefully their own situation, and they're deciding, yeah, I can I can deal with what's coming. Interest rates rate might rise. I'm going to take that into account. I'm going to make a smart decision when I buy a house. It's not a a flippant thing to buy a house. People are very careful when they do that, and they look very carefully at their own situations. You know, they're looking a lot more carefully at their situations than maybe the government uh, gives them credit for. So if I'm listening to this, and I'm I'm not wanting to say you are instilling fear in me, that's not where I'm going, but there's some things, there's some warnings in here for all of us. Is there a way to protect ourselves going forward if we've already made that home purchase and we're hearing that uh, the, the... its resale value could actually be dropping and our investment, so to speak, might lose its weight as well? I'd like to, to, to make a, a separate point before I get to that. I mean, that, you're making a very important point and asking an important question. It's important that lenders have policies to protect against bad lending. And, you know, having a mortgage stress test is an important part of that. It's just that the details of this particular stress test are wrong. It doesn't take account of two very important things that affect people. First of all, when you renew your mortgage, and that's usually five years in the future, you're going to have more income and you'll have more ability to pay and more ability to afford a higher interest rate. That's not taken into account in the stress test. The stress test looks at what your payment might be in five years, but what your income is today. And that's a big mistake in that policy. And the second problem with the policy is in those five years, you're going to pay off 13 or 14% of your mortgage. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a smaller mortgage to renew in future. Again, that's not taken into account in this policy. 
So this is uh, eliminating uh, options for people who are trying to get into the market for the first time. Uh, in the yeah. report, it goes into great detail about the, the benefits of owning a home versus renting. And uh, there's been some debate about whether we're at a threshold here where maybe it makes more sense to rent versus buy. But based on what I read, uh, the, this report suggests it's still a better long-term investment to, to purchase your home. Well, really, I'm just asking a question or encouraging people to do something I know they're going to do anyway. People are going to look at their own situations and say, I can rent or I can buy. Let me consider the, the options for myself. You know, what can what would I rent versus what would I buy? And I will compare the cost to myself and make the decision that's in my best interest. I mean, that's what people do, isn't it? Sure. People look at what's in their best interest and make good decisions, especially on a matter that's as complicated, as stressful and as important as where you live. Will Dunning. Will Dunning, Chief Economist with Mortgage Professionals of Canada. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time and the access. Oh, you're welcome. Take care. Bye. Yeah, I know that uh, I once owned a house, and I regret uh, buying it partly because, uh, you know, the situation ended up didn't working out. But the house that I chose to buy, uh, we bought, like, we were approved for X amount between up to, I think, $260,000. So, of course, we went to the max and bought a house that was really out of our price range because we couldn't afford to live there without a roommate. And it just wasn't the best situation for everyone involved, including the roommate. I felt bad Mm -hmm. for the living situation that ended up uh, befalling upon her. And uh, and then after she moved out, we were kind of stuck with this house that we really couldn't afford. And then it ended up just, we racked up a huge debt. So we sold the house and uh, all the, the money that we made we did make some money on it, but it just went into our to paying off that debt, and I, kind of, I still walked away being in the hole. And now I'm in a position where I don't think I don't know that I'll ever be able to own a home again, especially with these new rules and how much money you have to put down. And also, when you hear it's been a long time, like uh, that, that person would in most neighborhoods in Winnipeg that you would purchase a home and not see a growth in the. Um, cost of that home. So when you resold it, it usually resold it for a higher value than what you purchased at the very least, even if it was just 2% more. And what he's talking about is a, a shift in that too. So when you're looking at it as that investment, which I think people need to stop doing, it's not like it's when our parents or grandparents bought a house at 20000 it's now worth 400000 Those days are gone. Yeah. And, and, and generations ago, you never looked at it that way either. No. You never thought of it as an investment no, or a, a measure of your personal wealth. It got in there Winnipeg, somewhere. Yeah. And Winnipeg got changed at the end of the 1990s and the early 2000s when you saw six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10% increases year over year. And over the last 20 years, uh, things have gone from where you could buy a house in Winnipeg. An average house was around $125,000, $130,000. So now it's over three hundred thousand dollars how many i am forever guessing like what is going on in my life that i that your people that you know are buying that home versus what i feel like i'm able to afford like i and on the other hand when you talk about the stress test test and the changes to the rules it feels like so many people are living well beyond their means even in a medium-sized city like winnipeg yeah the term house poor yeah comes to mind i know a lot of people who bought a house uh, it, because that's the house that they kind of wanted in their future. But in the meantime, they just had to scrape by every paycheck. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, how is that? 
How is that living? You know, you own a home, but are you actually living? I, yeah, there's some unrealistic expectations of what a first home should look like right. as well. There it is. You yeah. know, my mom and dad, their first house was in the in the in the West End, and and like it was, it needed a lot of work. The first house I bought was under 600. I think it was just barely 600 square feet. I put a lot of TLC into that home, and and now we're on our third home, and and it might be our forever home. But I think a lot of people are thinking of their first home purchase, they already have this vision of, well, this is where I'm going to always be. And and that whole idea of building through the market. And I think Part of that has gone away for some people as well, and the option to do that uh, it just is 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 maybe um, more or less of an option for people, more intrusive or, or more of an obstacle. Yeah, and I, I have friends who work, uh, acquaintances who work in the construction industry, and will say that they build new all these new homes for people, which they can perhaps afford the f- home, but they'll go back to do a repair, say that's warranty related, later, and the home will still be. The basement will still be empty or two of the bedrooms won't have furniture in them because they purchased the home they could afford, but then nothing else, right? And so it's just, it's a fascinating conversation for all of us. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.